Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome in to Slow Your Roll. We are back on a Monday, uh, back on our normal schedule here. Dominic Lorenzano alongside writer for the uh, Yaki Wave Report, as always, Jesse Caulfield. You hesitate on the Yaki Report every single time. I, I know. You got to remember. I know. You know, it, I think part of it is because didn't they rename Yaki Way? So I, I don't want I don't want to get canceled. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they did. Yeah. They, it's uh, Jersey Street now. See, see, one of these days, I'm afraid I'm going to get canceled. That's how that goes. Oh. But anyway, we, pre- NFL preseason is over. We got plenty of NFL talk to talk to you about today, including our NFC predictions, plus with the, uh, that around the corner for our fair or foul segment, a couple of quarterback questions, plus the Deshaun Watson saga does not end. It was quiet for a little while, and now... It's back on red hot. Could Deshaun Watson be wearing the teal, orange, and white at some point this season? We'll get into that talk. Plus, a little bit of little bit of side thing. The Carolina Hurricanes, some weirdness. Plus, our Tommy report, as always. The Darwin Award. And with just basically about an even month left of uh, the MLB season, we will play another segment of Call In the Fat Lady. But from all that talk, we transition to the opening rant, and this is going to be about, listen, we all understand having general rules in life is a good thing, but circumstances still dictate action, right? I am not one of these guys who, just because you draft a new quarterback and he looks good, that I want him to play right away. I have said from the start, Cam Newton is the week one starter and will remain the starter for the New England Patriots as long as he is playing well and they're winning games. I would even say that the Jacksonville Jaguars roster is so bad, I would at least have considered not having Trevor Lawrence start right away. That's how bad that roster is. The Jets don't really have any other option than having Zach Wilson play. And the 49ers have a competent quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, frankly, hasn't played enough games. But from that, that takes us, segues us into the Chicago Bears and their situation. Matt Nagy, Andy Dalton's the everyday, will be the starting quarterback. QB1, as they posted on their social media a couple of months back after losing out on some of the uh, other quarterback stuff. Andy Dalton, this is my team. And you know what, Andy? It is your team. It should be Andy Dalton's team for one week of the NFL season against the Los Angeles Rams. That is all. Because it doesn't matter who your quarterback is, you're losing week one, and why throw the rookie out there to face Sean McVay, Aaron Donald, and what was statistically maybe the best defense in the NFL last season? Totally get it. Let's have Andy Dalton stake week one, get his brains beat in because the offensive line is average, look terrible, have the fan base boo the crap out of him because they will, And then you turn it over to Justin Fields week two, who the bar has been set so low by Andy Dalton, they'll all be happy with what Fields does anyway. But this takes me into what the rest of the story is. It's not even just a Justin Fields story. You have a GM in Ryan Pace and a head coach in Matt Nagy who are both on the hot seat after back-to-back eight and eight seasons for the Chicago Bears. Turn it over to the rookie Justin Fields. It's time. Let's go right away after that loss, after that week one loss to the Rams that we all know is going to happen. But Justin Fields isn't Trevor Lawrence, uh, isn't Trey Lance, 
who hasn't played enough games and enough snaps. Justin Fields is a two-year starter at a big boy program at Ohio State that plays big boy football in the Big Ten. This is not the pillow fight conference that plays no defense of the Big 12 or the frankly mediocre Pac-12 where you face mediocre competition week in and week out. This is a meat and potatoes confidence, big boy football, and he is a two-year starter at Ohio State playing in big games, facing Alabamas and the Clemsons. He's taken big shots. He showed that he's a gamer. So you have that. Plenty of experience on the side of Justin Fields. Here's the remaining part. As I said, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace both on the hot seat, and I think the Chicago Bears are in the midst of about to make another huge mistake in running out what is a very, very good head coach in Matt Nagy. The problem with the Chicago Bears is a front office and GM issue. Matt Nagy is not picking the groceries here. Matt Nagy didn't decide to pay Nick Foles $24 million just because he was good in one playoff stretch. Matt Nagy's not the one who decided to trade three first-round picks for Khalil Mack. And I get it, Khalil Mack is a beast. Was, at least. He wasn't as good last year. But let's be honest. Unless your team is already on the Super Bowl window, you don't pay that kind of money and that kind of price for one defensive player. One defensive player does not change the entire landscape of games the same way a quarterback can. So asking for three first-round picks and then paying Khalil Mack the kind of money that he was demanding can completely hamstring this organization. And plus, I mean, we've bought the $24 million and the real kicker. Matt Nagy is not the one who picked Mitch Trubisky in the first round over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. I feel like people in Chicago probably know this. Maybe they don't like Matt Nagy either, but they know the problem The problem with that franchise is the front office, and it's still the front office. Ryan Pace totally deserves to not even be in the hot seat. I think Pace should have been fired by now, but they are on the cusp of running out a very, very good coach in Matt Nagy. Don't forget this. Matt Nagy, since being with the Bears, is 28-20. and 20. They barely had any winning seasons before Matt Nagy got there under Fox. They were terrible. They had one good year with a great defense in Rex Grossman a couple of years ago. They were terrible before that season. They've been terrible after that until Nagy took over. Plus, with the gluttony of teams who needed a quarterback over the uh, last offseason, how many different teams needed a quarterback? Uh, There was a lot of teams, and for once it was a bunch of teams who aren't even awful teams, so they didn't even have high draft picks to go get a quarterback. And yet you didn't once hear anybody mention Mitchell Trubisky as an actual, reasonable uh, solution to their quarterback problems. What does that tell you about how the league looks at Mitchell Trubisky? And yet Matt Nagy, hamstringed by having no first-round picks, hamstringed by having Mitchell Trubisky as his starting quarterback, was able to make the playoffs Twice Now, one of those years, again, I know they were 8-8, eight and eight, but to make the playoffs twice with a quarterback as average as Mitchell Trubisky, I think says a lot about Matt Nagy as a head coach. And they were 12-4 and four in his first year, and I know that since then they went back down to 8-8 eight and 8-8 eight and eight and eight in back-to-back seasons, but the problem is Matt Nagy in that first year before the league figured it out was able to coddle Mitch Trubisky into 
being productive. All the bells and whistles, the crazy schemes that he came up with his offense, were able to get them to 12-4. and four. Never forget that season. Also, they could have advanced in the playoffs if Cody Parkey doesn't bang an upright on a field goal chance. They move on. Now, they don't get probably much farther in the playoffs than that, but you still had a playoff win then. Uh, you could have a playoff win under Matt Nagy's record if Cody Parkey just doesn't bang an upright on that. The problem is, after that, the league figured it out. Oh, wait. The route tree that you can run with Mitchell Trubisky as your quarterback is super limited. So despite, we just got to stop David Montgomery running the ball, and we just have to realize, despite all the crazy bells and whistles and movement and misdirections that Matt Nagy places in the offense, at the end of the day, Mitchell Trubisky probably isn't throwing the ball consistently and accurately more than 10 yards down the field outside the hash marks, and that completely limits what they can do on offense. So absolutely, it is time in Chicago to turn it over to Justin Fields after that week one against the Rams. Justin Fields is big, strong, plenty of experience at the quarterback level at a high place, and he what he gives you behind what is an average to below average maybe offensive line is the ability to extend plays and throw and make things happen when the play breaks down. He also gives you the ability to just be more creative with the offensive playbook. He can throw the ball to any route. He's done an amazing job in the preseason. And even despite, even with how good he was in the preseason, there were questions about if he's fully ready. And then all the remarks from last week in, uh, in the practice was that the light had clicked. All the reports coming out of Chicago was the light had clicked last week for Justin Fields and he was starting to finally get it. And I don't always trust things that come out as reports during the preseason and all the um, camps. But when the team is trying to pump the brakes on the hype and trying to tell the fan base that Andy Dalton is the week one starter, they're not going to leak stuff to further the hype about Justin Fields. So to me, that was real information that Fields finally had things click in that last week of practice. So... You have a defense that's still really good with Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith. This defense is still good. It's a defense that, frankly, though, has been left out to dry for the last three years because they do their job and the offense doesn't. The window is closing for the Bears, but it is still open. This is a team that if you just put the pieces together on offense, you can make the playoffs. Again, is it a Super Bowl window? Probably not. But get Justin Fields in now. Save Matt Nagy and save this organization from making another huge blunder. Because Fields gives you what you need. He gives you the mobility. He gives you the ability to throw to any route tree in the offensive game. And he gives you the ability to make the big play over the top to actually threaten the defense. He'll open things up for David Montgomery as well. It's time for Justin Fields after week one. Because guess what? After week one at the Rams, you got a perfect, perfect landing spot for Justin Fields. He gets to play right after that. He gets to play the Cincinnati Bengals. He will face the Browns after that, which is tough, but then he gets the Lions and the Raiders. So what a perfect, perfect starting spot for Justin Fields. And with that, Jesse, I'm going to turn it over for you from that opening rant to see. I don't know. I don't really know if you agree with me on this or not, but I'm going to get your thoughts on this. So would you say this is more about Matt Nagy or more about the quarterback situation right now, just to be specific? I think it's about both. Okay. I think even if Matt Nagy wasn't at least perceived to be on the hot seat, I still think that you should turn it over to Justin Fields because to me, 
if you're going to give up all those first round picks for Khalil Mack, you're trying to say to yourself, we think that we're a good enough team to contend. Do you and believe I, Matt Nagy is on the hot seat this season? Yes. I okay. think I think it's been pretty clear what's come out of that organization that both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are on the hot seat. Okay. Despite the fact that Matt Nagy has a winning record, 8-8 eight and eight the last two seasons, I know that's not great. But for the Chicago Bears recently, 8-8 eight and eight is not bad. Especially when you have to deal with Aaron Rodgers in division twice a year. Sure. And like I'll agree that I think Matt Nagy is probably on the hot seat simply because... GMs and owners like they aren't very patient. What it's a what have you done for me lately type of leagues it seems. So I'll agree with that. I don't really agree. Like all right, Bears are probably losing week one regardless of the situation. But like you don't think Andy Dalton could give this team a good chance to beat the Bengals, the Browns, and the Lions in the next few weeks more than Justin Fields? No. You don't think a veteran QB who has been here? As can be can beat those teams. Do you think he can beat those teams? All right, that's I'll just can you beat those three teams? Do you think Aaron um, Andy Dalton can with the surrounding cast that he has him in Chicago right now? No, but you think Justin Fields can with that same surrounding cast? Yes. and not being a veteran. Yes, simply because he's agile. Um, because can he- because he can throw any route tree on the window. He at least, as I said, he at least seems competent enough that he's not going to be completely over his skis from a scheme wise perspective. And I think Andy Dalton could totally beat the Bengals, and maybe I like bet the he Raiders. definitely wants to. And oh, oh, I know he wants to beat the Bengals, um, and can totally probably beat the Lions and the Raiders as well. I don't think he can beat the Browns because the Browns have a good defense, a really good pass rush, and I mean they're just a good roster on their own. So I think you need you need the extra dynamic element that Justin Fields brings to the table if you're going to beat Cleveland. Mm, I disagree. And if the Bengals' offense is clicking, I could totally see the Bengals putting up more points than the Bears do. I mean, Andy Dalton hasn't looked good in the preseason really at all. I mean, never forget this. When he was in Cincinnati, for as dysfunctional as Cincinnati is and all the jokes we said, he was surrounded by a lot of talent early in his career in Cincinnati. He had Chad Ochocinco. He had a really good defense. Now, there were a bunch of criminals on defense, and that's why they blew that game against the Steelers. It was like, terribly disciplined. I forgot about that game. Yeah, I know, right? Terribly disciplined football team. But he had TJ, who's, uh, TJ, um, Hushmanzada. Hushmanzada. I can't even say his last name. It's so hot. He had AJ Green. He had AJ Green for a long time. He had Chad Amichosinko, and the man couldn't win a playoff game. He had Giovanni Bernard. He had, he? G- he had Giovanni Bernard one year, too. What happened to him? It's a little off topic. I just haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah, he's somewhere now, I think, as a third down back. But, like, that's the other thing with Andy Dalton. To me, Andy Dalton is like a serviceable quarterback, a serviceable starter, but he's even lower end than like Ryan Fitzpatrick to me. Andy Dalton is totally a guy that is carried by the roster. He has no ability. Obviously, not a lot of quarterbacks can carry a roster, but he doesn't even have the ability to at least like sit on the cart for the ride and just not mess it up. Andy Dalton totally is a guy that has to be carried by the roster. And this roster is not good enough. For him, I, mean, I never to thought be carried he was that by. good, but like you talked about experience and like going into the draft, like no one doubted um, Mac Jones' experience. They just doubted that that experience was maybe fake because of where he came from. Mac, jo- he, Mac Jones only started one year at Alabama, though. But still, like he was in a system that just like it's just a tough system. He has in the way he had NFL experience, like how Najee Harris when he went to first started. Um, Steelers training camp, mm-hmm. he was like, this is easy. 
Mm. It was hard at Alabama. So I assume at least Mac Jones has been trained well, even if like we we may doubt his talent right now. Mm. But like Trevor Lawrence, we knew he was experienced. Um, but like Justin Fields, people like uh, people doubted him because he wasn't that experienced. He didn't play as good as teams. And I mean, you watch a lot more college football than I do, so you know more. But like that was that's what I got from the scouting report on Justin Fields is his inexperience. And yeah, he's looked good in preseason, but I always like to take I, I never like to take state uh, preseason as face value. We'll see what actually happens in real games. And I I think he can be I'll agree with Andy Dalton in the fact that I think Justin Fields will be a good NFL quarterback one day. But this is Andy Dalton's time. Um whatever that means. I just think they will ride Andy Dalton for at least a couple weeks if it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. And um but I think the smart thing for Matt Nagy to do is not immediately throw Justin Fields out there in week 2. If he if Andy Dalton looks bad that first week and looks bad to start the second week, sure. But I think Andy Dalton should be your week 2 starter. All right. All right, you really think that? I mean, to me, the other part of this is I understand not throwing quarterbacks to the Wolves, and I don't. Andy want Dalton to. deserves to be a week two starter because it's well, the Bengals. But I don't care about deserves in he, the NFL. He this, des- is, this is this is he no, deserves no, no, no. some revenge on the Bengals. Uh, listen, I don't care about deserves. We're all men here. All right, we're we're adults. It's about winning football games, and to me, especially for Matt Nagy, who's apparently on the hot seat, it's about winning football games. And to me, I don't like throwing quarterbacks to the Wolves, but the fact of the matter is. He's looked good in the preseason. He has enough snaps at a big boy program with good coaching. I, by the way, the head coach at Ohio State has some NFL experience, too, before he took over at Ohio State. So I actually think he even has a little bit more NFL-ready coaching than when he had at college. And the other thing that comes to me is Matt Nagy is clever enough on offense and a good enough offensive coach that he will make sure that he can make a lot of things a a lot easier for Justin Fields. He will move guys around. He'll use that misdirection to give Fields some really nice, easy reads. Do you think Mac Jones should start week two? No. It's unless a very, it's unless a very Cam, similar situation. It is similar, but to me, Cam Newton, again, the roster is built better for Cam, and I think Mac Jones doesn't have amazing offensive pieces to throw to. And Mac doesn't give you the ability to make plays on his own. So... I really think Mac needs to have some better offensive pieces around him before I really want to throw him to the Wolves like that. Whereas Justin can make things happen on its own. To me, the biggest thing is I trust that Matt Nagy can ring in Justin Fields. He can make things easy enough for him, give him some easy reads. And then off that, Justin Fields adds that dynamic playmaking ability to beat the defense over the top, maybe only two or three times a game, but that's all you really need. That's all the, the playmaking that needs to happen for the Bears to win the game. Dalton can't do that. Okay. Yeah. But I think we made our points. I think we made our points, too. So from that, I will turn it over to you, Jesse, for Rapid Fire News. Rapid Fire News. It's going to be kind of a quick one this week. Not a too, not too eventful this week. Uh, the first one, it's going to be our only mention of the Red Sox today. Uh, they went 4-2. and two. Because I went from last Tuesday, because the show was Tuesday, to yesterday. 4-2 and two in that time in six games against the Minnesota Twins and the Cleveland Indians. Should have been 5-1, and one, but we won't talk about yesterday. Moving on to Patriots. They played yesterday as well. They played the Giants. Uh, almost blew that game. They won 22-20. Uh, hey, 
Some Little League World Series news. It ended. Uh, yesterday, Michigan beat Ohio 5-2 to two to win the World Series. So congratulations to those kids in Michigan. Uh, we have some boxing news, Dom. I don't know if we've ever mentioned boxing yet. We have not. Uh, we have some fake boxing news. There was a boxing match between two non-boxers, Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley. Jake Paul won. We still have to suffer through this. He won by split decision. So congratulations to him. And my final little bit of news for Rapid Fire News this week is about the Mets. Oh, I can't see Robert. He's not here. Um, so Mets have been bad recently. And the players who have been getting booed a lot have been taking up doing thumbs down if they get on base. Hey, if you're going to boo us when we do bad, when we do good, we're going to boo you. That's essentially what they're saying. So the president, the Mets president, uh, Sandy Alderson, came out and said, Mets fans are loyal, passionate, knowledgeable, and more than willing to express themselves. We love them for every one of these qualities. So the president came out and said that probably to save some money because he still wants fans to come to the stadium. I have to give it to Mets fans, as obnoxious as New York fans can be. If you're going to still stick with that team and pay money to go to those games, despite the fact that that franchise kicks you in the balls every single year, you know what? You are loyal. Yeah. You know what? I never questioned Mets fans' loyalty. So, hey, at least you got loyal fans, Mets. That's what you got. But that's been Rapid Fire News. Rapid Fire News. And from that, we will take a quick break before we get into our NFC predictions for the season. predictions with the NFL season just around the corner and Jesse let's start with the NFC East while well, sh- shall we the uh, the that's division good. the division that's barely uh, an NFL division at this point mm. I'll, I'll let you start this what do you have for your uh, for your division your final division standings for the NFC East I have it I'm pretty sure this is how this it ended last season I'm going to have the same order I'm not doing records because I don't like doing that well it's, we didn't do that last time either so yeah I have the Washington football team winning the division. The what the football team? Yes. Uh, Followed by the New York Giants, Dallas Cowboys, and sitting at the bottom, the Philadelphia Eagles. We are in lockstep on the NFC East on that one, too. I mean, I I could flip-flop the Giants and Dallas, but I'm just going to go with the Giants. Even though how horrible their offensive line looked yesterday, I do have serious questions. But at the end of the day, those last three teams, they're all... (laughs) Well, Dallas and New York are about six or seven win teams. I think Philly might win three. 
Philly okay. also okay. decided to be even more dysfunctional and go trade for Gardner Minshew despite the fact that they wanted to say Jalen Hurts' job. So that just tells you what I think about that Philly organization. Mm. All right, from that, the NFC West. I'll get us started on this one. I have the San Francisco 49ers winning the division, and I'll tell you why. Because I still like Garoppolo. I still think the roster is awesome. Kyle Shanahan has Sean McVay's number. Even when Kyle Shanahan, for some reason, was playing guys like C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins, he was beating Sean McVay. And the Rams suffered a big injury to Cam Akers in that as much as we love Matt Stafford and he makes that team better, everything on that offense still goes runs off the running game, that zone run scheme that Sean McVay has. And they're going to rely on Sony Michelle to start the year. Because Daryl Anderson has a thumb sprain too, so he's like questionable if he's going to play week one also. So that's not great when your offense relies on that. So I got the 49ers, then I got the Rams, because I still think they're the best defense in the conference. They're better than Seattle, even though Seattle has a Russell Wilson. They're just a better team. They're better coached. I have Seattle, and then rounding things out, what I think is the best last place team in all of the NFL, but that division is just crazy hard is the Arizona Cardinals. All right, the only thing similar we have is I also have the Arizona Cardinals finishing last. Everyone has the Cardinals finishing last. Um, But I have, despite the fact that I think their coach is very overrated, I have the Los Angeles Rams winning that division. I really do. Uh, I just think, I think mostly because I don't, actually, I'm just going to list them all right now. Rams, Seahawks, 49ers, Cardinals. I have the 49ers down there. Uh, I think it'll be. Wait, wait, wait. You have the 49ers below Seattle? Yes, I did. I think it'll be competitive. I think it'll be close. I think all, at least three out of these four teams will be close. I think the Cardinals will probably fall off as the season goes on. Um, But, like, yeah, I just. I think that addition of Matt Stafford will. Because I I, I think that Seattle's taking a step back this season. I think the Rams took a slight step forward with that QB. So I think that puts them back in at least playoff contention. I don't know about Super Bowl contention right now. And I, I just I don't I don't trust the 49ers. I don't trust the quarterback situation. You're right, they are they do have a well-built team um on both sides of the ball. Uh but Kyle Shanahan, like you like to hype this man up, but like this man loves to not play the fourth quarter at all. Okay, listen, that doesn't, just because I question the guy's decision-making in big games in the playoffs, we're talking about the regular season. Okay, so it's going to be a lot, in a division that competitive, it's going to be a lot of big games, a lot of playoff atmosphere type games, a lot of close competitive games. Okay. And you're playing teams like the Rams and the Seahawks four times between the two of them, and like, I, you say Kyle Shanahan has Sean McVay's number, maybe, but like, if you... Go one and one, I, that really helps the Rams. Then, true, true, true. I mean, listen, these teams are interchangeable. Vegas has them both as as eleven win totals. They have the same the Rams num- and Niners. Yes, they have, they have them as the same number of wins. So that tells you that they're really close. I did have trouble like, placing cr- this one. I, I just feel like the 49ers will fall off because they seem to die also every year. I, I feel think, like injuries might come back. I, I think know. you're crazy to have Seattle ahead of them though. Mm. Seattle is Russell Wilson and nothing else. I think Pete Carroll, I think the game has passed Pete Carroll by. I think his defensive schemes are out of date. I think they're old on defense. I think the old line is still mediocre at best. And yes, they have some very nice offensive weapons, but the defense isn't good and the coaching's not good. I agree with all that. But 
Russell Wilson is always hot out of the gate. Seattle comes hot out of the gate. So they might, be, if they can put some distance in the beginning of the season, I think they could at least down the stretch compete. But, yeah, I feel like as the season goes on, kind of like the Cardinals, they're going to fall off. Okay. Because, yeah, I think Pete Carroll is not this genius that we used to praise him to be. It is mostly a Russell Wilson show. And, yeah, the defense isn't good. I mean, I don't want to rip Carroll like that. I just think he was good in his day. But I think the game has passed him by. I don't think he's adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I didn't like Carroll that much any, ever. I know you didn't. I I I, I just I, thought his I, I, I just thought his style was never going to last. And I, I think the thing with Carroll is, I think Carroll is a really good culture builder, and he runs things great as a CEO. Yeah, but like the second that culture starts to break down and people start to question him, he can't really handle and, it. It seems. And the minute and the minute they gave him too much power. Because he has a, he has a lot of power now in that organization. He doesn't. He's not just like he's not Matt Nagy or all these guys. Is he like the GM too? He, he's not officially the GM, but there was a power struggle going on last year between the GM and Carroll. Okay. Carroll has a lot of input on actual personnel decisions more actually, than your average head coach in the I don't, NFL. I don't mind stuff like that either, because the coach is the one day in and out with all these players and say like, "Hey, man, we need." X. To me, that means that you're compromised by relationships. Like with the players? Yes. I mean... I'm, I'm, uh, I think Bill Belichick is the only one that can do it. And even Bill now has started to show some cracks in his GM performance. Especially when it comes to drafting. He does not draft well. Not anymore. No. Well, like apparently the Patriots changed their draft style this season. They did. He and, was more uh, willing to listen to other people. I, and, and you know what? But that's part of what I mean by Pete Carroll not adjusting. As at least Bill at least had the ability to see that and adjust and realize, whereas Pete Carroll is very old and very well, rigid. That's a, that's a, just a personal Pete Carroll problem. I'm just saying, personally, I don't mind a coach going to the GM sometimes and saying, like, listen, man, we need this position or we need these couple, not particular players, but we need these style of players. I don't mind if it's a couple of times, but, but there was stories that John Snyder had to pass every single roster move by Pete Carroll. Okay, I mean, yeah, I guess that's, and then a, if that's they, too much. And but. then if they disagreed, they had to go to the owner. <laughs> like to me, mom, that's exactly. Can you can you settle this dispute, mom? I want X. He wants Y. Yeah. What do we do? I'm gonna throw a temper tantrum about this. Well, we're doing Z. <laughs> so yeah, all right. On to the NFC North. I have Green Bay, mm. Minnesota, Chicago. And Detroit. Yeah, everything I just said about Matt Nagy and all that, but I think <laughs> I think they're going to screw it up because I think they're going to have Andy Dalton play too long. I have the same order. Do you really? Yeah. Ah, that's funny. I debated Bears or Vikings, but... I debated that too. I was like, eh, Vikings. I, I like... I, this is the other thing. I kind of like Mike Zimmer as a coach. They lost a lot of pieces on defense last year, and that's why they were so bad. They just couldn't replace them all, but they've done better in the draft. They've replaced some of those pieces... Kirk Cousins isn't a good quarterback, but at least he's functional. Oh, he can beat the crap out of bad teams. Yeah, and the thing is, you get to play Detroit. So, that helps. I also don't think Green Bay is going to be as dominant. No, I don't either. I, I just think still Green, think they'll win. I think No, I think they'll win the division, but I actually wouldn't be shocked if, if, Green, if, Minnesota, if Green Bay goes into Minnesota and loses a game. I would not be shocked by that. No, I wouldn't either. Because I don't think Green Bay is going to be as dominant. I think they have too many distractions. They didn't address a lot of their needs. Aaron... Maybe has one foot out the door, so like I think Vegas has Green Bay at eleven or twelve wins. I think they're I think they're a ten win team. 
Now, that's still good enough to win a division, but I think one of those losses probably comes to Minnesota, in Minnesota. I think one of those losses comes to Andy Dalton and the Bears. Yeah. Here's the last thing we're <laughs> going to say about the NFC North. How bad is Detroit? Do you think they'll be one of the three worst teams in the NFL? In the NFL? Yes. NFC, sure. Well, NFL. Oh, man. I think... Do we think I, the Jets will take a step, real step forward? I think the Jets have a better quarterback than Detroit does, actually, already. And this is me saying I think Zach Wilson's going to fail because that organization's going to kill him eventually. But he's still a more talented quarterback than Jared Goff. You think if it, uh, Wilson was on a different team, he'd be fine then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the top three worst teams in the NFL. Yeah. I'll put him top five, definitely. Okay. But, like, uh, I don't have the list of AFC teams in front of me right now. So it's hard to say. I mean, the Jags, Texans. I mean, oh. you, you think the Steelers yeah. are going to be you trash. You know what? I don't think they're a top three worst. I, I, I think they really could be. But if, like, their fourth or fifth worst team, that wouldn't surprise me for the uh, Lions. Okay. But, yeah, I think they're going to be really bad. No, I, they'll definitely be bad. I just wonder how bad. All right, the last one, the NFC South. To me, this is the most intriguing one, Yo, in a way. Other than the first team, I... I have no idea what to do with this division yeah, at all. Same. I, I have no idea. I did them last because of it. Yeah, exactly. This, I have zero confidence in. I mean, other than Tampa. Tampa's going to roll through this division. It's funny that Brady took maybe, like, the toughest and best quarterback division last year. And murdered them all. Murdered them all. Well, yeah, I mean, the Saints murdered them twice in the regular season. No, I mean— Brady just beat him when it mattered. I mean, like, Drew Brees isn't here anymore. No, I know. And now, actually, Brady gets one of the easier divisions. Because to me— He AFC East it. No, he really did. Because after Tampa, I think it's a lot of mediocrity. It's a lot of— eh. So I got Tampa— New Orleans, Carolina, Atlanta. I really didn't want to put the Saints second, but I watched Carolina. No, I put them second also. And, and as much as I think Carolina will improve, and I think they might have some upsets here and there, the line's still bad, and the defense is bad. I mean, Carolina, Atlanta can't stop a nosebleed. Their defenses are horrible. Horrible. I mean, I put Bucks obviously. Then I put Saints. A lot of that is because of Jameis Winston. I think his talent could win games. Um, and he's still like, like the, you know, they had an eventful offseason to say the least. And like, who knows what's going to happen with Michael Thomas. But there's still pieces. There's still like, you know, Alvin Kamara is an elite running back. That really helps. Cam um, Jordan's still there. Yeah, Jameis Winston, I mean, despite the fact that he got to make bad decisions, bonehead decisions sometimes, he is a very talented person. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boil it down to these two things for why I could I still had to put the Saints ahead of the rest of everyone else. Well, three, but I already mentioned the other one, which is the defenses for Carolina and Atlanta are horrible. I mean, just absolutely putrid. But say what you will about Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, at least just on paper when you watch him, is a legitimate quarterback talent. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. It's all upstairs. And maybe... The marriage of Sean Payton and Jameis Winston is exactly what Jameis needs because you get a much more clever, a much more strict and smarter offensive coach, whereas I think Bruce Arians was the worst match for Jameis Winston because Bruce's style is, ah, you know, loose, go for it, balls way down the field, let's go, over the top, let it loose, gunslinger, and that doesn't work with Jameis Winston and his turnover problem. So I think Bruce basically he had there was a you know there was, there was a little candle there 
little, little flame, and, and Bruce Arians came over with a big thing of gasoline and just dumped it on there. And Jameis went from like kind of questionable to then 30 interceptions in a season. 30 touchdowns as well, though. I know, right? He and was 5,000 yards. He, he was just everything all the time. <laughs> he was a whole lot of everything, a hot mess yeah, that you, also could just drive you nuts. Yeah, you could ask. Because he'd throw a perfectly thrown ball down the seam between two defenders, 25 yards, and you'd be like, oh my gosh, that's right. That's why he was a first-round pick. Well, that season, like, you could ask me. What did Jameis Winston do that last game? And the answer is everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Just yes. Just yes on all fronts. He did it all. Good, <laughs> bad, he did it all. <laughs> he really he was a more dramatic Ryan Fitzpatrick. Also, I have Atlanta ahead of Carolina. Do you really? Yeah. Why? I just think they get a better quarterback and a better offense. Atlanta. Okay. Um, I think they have a worse defense, and I think there's a lot of apathy that has infected that um, football program now. Mm. I think Carolina at least is ascending. And really? I'm, I'm a big believer in Matt Rule. Matt Rule took a terrible team in Baylor. That, that team had no... Listen, my problem with coaches in college when it comes to the NFL a lot of the time is once you've made it big in the college, you are sitting on a conveyor belt of talent. Like, you go into, like, 70% of your games half the time, these coaches who then make it to the NFL, with just more talent than everybody else. Matt Rule was at Temple, and then he went to Baylor. And he wasn't at Baylor very long. And that organization, uh, that football program was a disaster when he got there. He was out-talented in almost every single game that he coached in. And yet he got them to a bowl game. He was, I believe he was in the running to win the Big 12 championship one year, too. He didn't win it, but he was at least in the running. So I, I'm a big believer in that rule. Okay. And like I said, I just think it's, I think it's a culture thing. I think it's a long season, add the extra game. I really do think there's a lot of just apathy in the Atlanta organization now. Sure, but you don't think um, getting rid of, uh, was it Quinn, uh, mm. changes some things? Because he, he was a big problem. He was. Um, with that team, so. Yeah. Do you know who they're actually, I, I don't know who they're, new head coaches right now. Arthur Smith. He uh, was the uh, offensive coordinator at Tennessee. I actually like the the college? No, 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 no. At no. Tennessee no, Titans? The Titans, the Titans. Okay. Yeah, he was the OC. And I actually really like Arthur Smith. I, I think he's a clever head coach. I think he will have success. I think he's just inherited a very despite the names and the talent that are there, I like it's not an untalented team. It's not the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Texans the Lions, but I think there's such a weird undercurrent of problems that you can't fix right away in Atlanta right now that that makes them a last place team. The choking, the apathy, the underachieving, like you just can't change that in one year with all the same pieces pretty much still there too because they're almost all still there other than them getting rid of Julio Jones. So yeah, that's how I have that. That's why I have that the way it is. Okay. And that has been our NFC predictions. We'll see how these age, probably poorly, (laughs) especially the NFC South, because I have no idea, man. (laughs) Yeah. All right, from that, I mean, I'm going to go to you, Jesse. The West is competitive. We might be really wrong with that. I think everyone could be wrong with the West. The West is just, I mean, you can make arguments for picking almost any team except the Cardinals. (laughs) And even the Cardinals, like I said, they're the best last place team in the NFL. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll agree all with right. that. So from that, from all that football talk, we're going to take a quick break from the football talk, and I'll turn it over to you for a little funny story in hockey there. Do you want to actually take a break? No, 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 no. Like I said, take a break from the NFL talk. Okay, okay. Yeah. But we're going to move on. Okay, yes. we're not doing another break. No, we'll do one later. Okay. All right, yes. Let's talk hockey, because we don't do that much. No. Not a lot going on. But hey, there's just... I really wanted to talk about this because there's just a funny situation going on in free agency, and I couldn't help but just want to talk about it. So, for those who don't know, uh, there's a situation between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Montreal Canadiens right now, uh, and it started two years ago in free agency. There's a player on the Hurricanes, a nice young center. His name is Sebastian Ajo, a nice up-and-coming talent. Uh, and he was a restricted free agent two years ago. And there's just kind of, whether it be, you know, cahoots, collusion, or just a gentleman rule, restricted free agents, people don't really touch. I think in, I think there's only been 16 since they had the salary cap, and only one team has never matched the offer. Uh, so two years ago, Canadians saw the restricted free agent Sebastian Ajo and said, hey, man, we want you to play for us for five years, $42 million. Um, and the Canes matched that offer, and he's still, I mean, considering his talent, the Canadians might have done them a favor, getting a little on the cheap. Uh, but then Saturday happened, and there's a, there's a player on the Canadians who, I mean, he's pretty good, but, like, through their playoff run, they benched him a couple times, uh, he's been kind of a low-line guy, and his name is Jesperi Kokkaniemi. Try to say that one. I got, I got no chance. <laughs> um, so the Canes, they sent him an offer sheet for one year, $6.1 million, and a $20 signing bonus. Why $20? Sebastian Ajo's number was number 20. And the reason this is just so juicy is just how it all went down. It was first announced on Twitter. Um, it was then tweeted out. An article was tweeted by the Hurricanes. Just the article. And the caption they tweeted was just LOL at the top. Uh, followed by a tweet in French. Because the Montreal Canadiens are come back. Main language is French. They All the details were tweeted in French. They changed their um, bio on Twitter to French. They tweeted out a reverse card from Uno. They tweeted out, people don't forget. Uh, They tweeted out, at the end of the night, when it all ended, they tweeted out, night y'all, with a picture of Sebastian Ajo, or a gif of Sebastian Ajo, winking at the camera. Um, And what really made it juicy was when the Canadians first signed Ajo, there was a quote from Mark Bergevin, the Habs GM. And the quote was, Sebastian Ajo accepted our offer, he wants to come to Montreal. He sees our youngsters coming up in the organization, and he wants to be a part of that. We're proud, but we're still, but there's still a waiting period. Well, the Canes also released a statement after this attempted signing. Uh, yes, Barry Cocteniemi accepted our offer. He wants to come to Carolina. He sees our core we've built there, and he wants to be a part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. When you make an offer like that, you saw a vulner- we saw a vulnerable position. Literally saying, hey, screw you to the Montreal Canadiens. And the reason this is such a more kick in the balls is because the Canadiens, 
technically, because of what Sebastian Ajo became, did them a favor. They got him kind of cheap. Kokteniemi is not worth $6.1 million. He just ain't. And the Canadians, oh, they got some cap problems right now. They accept that. They got no cap space. They match that, no cap space. Canadians, one year, whatever. We'll overpay them for one year just to screw the Canadians and get some depth. Why not? And that's just part of the reason I really wanted to talk about this. I love the drama. I love the pettiness. We need this more. We need more teams to do stuff like this. Just try to screw each other over and make a whole big thing of it. And make it public. Yeah. Yes. That's just the best thing. I love the Cana- uh, the Canes right now. I love this. It's so funny. And it more it screws over the Montreal Canadiens, who I hate. So, like, that's just why I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to detail this out. I wanted to explain it because I want everyone to know what is going on because it's so funny and it's so juicy. I love the drama. It's just too good. I love how petty the Canes are being. It's so childish. It's amazing. That's hilarious. That really is. But yeah, I just, I literally just wanted that moment to explain all this out in depth as much as I could. Right. But like, we can move on now. Right. We can go to uh, Colin the Fat Lady. We can uh, do that one. So, Dom, I'm going to ask you first for the Philadelphia Phillies. Is their season over? With just a month left in baseball, guys, it's time for this segment again. And yes, the Philadelphia Phillies season is over. They are, I think, six and a half out of the wild card, four and a half back of the division. Atlanta's red hot. Reese Hoskins now is out for the season, which means Andrew McCutcheon is hitting cleanup. Aaron Nola has been really, really average this year. Zach Wheeler has been amazing, but there's not much after him. Uh, one of their best relievers, Ranger Suarez, they had to put it in the starting rotation. The bullpen's still awful. Hector Neres is Hector Neres. Archie Bradley's been a disaster. And Ian Kennedy is not the most dominant closer of all time. So, yes, 100%. I don't even need to spend a ton of time on this. The Philadelphia Phillies season is officially over. It's time to call in the fat lady and get her singing. All right. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. And uh, Jesse. Mm. This team's not even that far out, but they've been playing horrible baseball. Is the season over for the Oakland Athletics? Is it time to call in the fat lady? Mm. Well, part of me wants to say no. Partly because last week I said the season is not over for the Seattle Mariners. They didn't have a good week. And two and a half, all right, right now Oakland is two and a half back in the wild card from the Red Sox, a team who recently has been playing well. But the past week, they cleaned it up a little bit, the Sox. They have a much easier schedule down the stretch than the Athletics. Um, Second hardest in baseball. Yes, the Athletics do. And what did we say the last week? The Red Sox were like the... The Padres are the first. Sox are 22nd. In terms of difficulty. Yes. Um, so, uh, I have to say, it's about time for her to start singing on the Oakland Athletics. Despite the fact they did win two in a row against the Yankees, ended their winning streak. Um, so I don't want to say it's over. But based on the toughness of the schedule, the Red Sox might be turning things around. And just Oakland hasn't been playing good ball lately. So I'm going to say yes, she can sing. All right. Now, Dom. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, Dom, is it time for her to sing for the Toronto Blue Jays? A team we've talked about a lot, these shows, and hyped them up a lot. We have. But is she singing this season? I think even with only a month left, 
Blue Jays sitting at five and a half back of the wild card. I think the season is not over for the Toronto Blue Jays. Despite the fact that they need to pass Oakland and Seattle, we've already talked about how Oakland's schedule is really hard. Blue Jays gets real easy. They got 26th ranked of all the teams. They get 10 games against the Baltimore Orioles. A team so horrible that the Tampa Bay Rays went 18-1 and against Baltimore this year. Isn't that an amazing stat? You can go 18-1 and against one team. Even in baseball. That's crazy. That is wild. Yes. Ten games against the Orioles. Then they control some of their own destiny because they get seven games against the Yankees, who maybe the Yankees have just, you know, blew it all by winning all those games 13 in a row. So you never know. They get three games against Oakland. Alex Manoa is back. Their rotation is actually really good. Sneaky good right now between uh, Hinshin Ryu, Jose Barreos, Robbie Ray, and Alex Manoa, the starter. Uh, the kid who's had a great season until he got hurt. He's back now. And listen, they're still the best offense in baseball, in my opinion, with Tay Oscar, Bo Bichette, uh, George Springer, uh, who's the other? Uh, Vladimir Guerrero, obviously, <laughs> junior. Yeah. So, no, despite being five and a half back, I think the talent and the schedule means that their season is not yet over. You know, can I kind of disagree with that one? Yeah, go for it. Uh, part of the reason I want to disagree is just. They don't. The team you need to catch right now is the Red Sox. Yeah, we don't play them at all. That's true. So, and we our schedule is also easy. So I just think it'll be just maybe a little too hard to okay. catch the Red Sox. I mean, I'm not saying they're making the playoffs, but I'm not counting them for dead yet. Okay. Okay. And with that, I just wanted to mention that. With that, Jesse, mm. we have to even do something different with this one. Mm. This is not about the regular season. No, it's not about one season. No. Is the actual franchise of the Arizona Coyotes over? Is it time to call on the fat lady on an entire organization? Uh, breaking news. She's apparently been singing for years. We just wouldn't listen. Because <laughs> this is the last season that Glendale, Arizona is even allowing the Coyotes to play in Glendale, Arizona. They're getting kicked out. They say, you waste too much of our money, you waste too much of our time, you are a dumpster fire of an organization. I'd rank them maybe top five worst organizations in sports. Yes, it is time. She's been singing, like I said. It's time for us to find a new venue, and we can move this team somewhere else and rename it. As much as I defended playing in the desert for too long, it's time to move on. So, wow. Time to time to call it. On the Arizona Coyotes. Not going to be in the Arizona Coyotes anymore. No. Where do you think they can move? Uh, Quebec City really wants a team back. Okay. They've tried Atlanta twice. Maybe they'll try. A th- maybe they'll mess that up a third time. Atlanta should not have it. No, NHL they shouldn't. It's, it's failed twice. Yeah. No, no. Um, Atlanta has no business having an NHL team. This is a really... I don't really know where you put them right now, because that's an awkward... You just expanded for the second time. Seattle was the big place, so you can't move them to Seattle. Yeah, Charlotte already has a team. Yeah, and they like their team. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The, the funny the funny thing with the NHL is um, they have two cities that are one of the ones that are talking points for, like, baseball. But they already have teams there. Nashville, Tennessee, and Charlotte, Carolina. But the NHL has well, teams there already. Technically, they play the Carolina Hurricanes playing Raleigh, Carolina. Okay, but still. Well, yeah, no, they still have... Not the- a big enough state that you can have two teams. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, they already... I'll move them to California. 
They already have the Anaheim Ducks, the LA Kings, the San Jose Sharks. Like we have enough. And they've tried like the I think the Seals. The Seals were somewhere in California. The California Seals. We've tried California enough. Move on. Yeah. All right. I think Quebec City probably makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but that just messes up the divisions again. All right. So that has been call in the fat lady. We're going to take another quick break, and when we're back. We'll talk about Deshaun Watson. Could he really be on the move, fair or foul? And then finish it up with the Darwin Award and our weekly Tommy update. Stay with us, guys. And we are back. Jesse, it's time to go to a story that just won't die. And mm. a story that has changed narratives about eight different times. A story I'm sick of. I, I kind of am too. But it's hard to get sick of it when it changes also so many times. Usually it used to be just about a disgruntled player, trade player, and about, oh my gosh, this player is a Monster? POS. <laughs> um, Deshaun Watson, despite all the criminal legal all the legal problems, everything around him. The trade market has come back to fruition. Texans asking for three first-round picks, two second-round picks, as reported so far. And once again, the Miami Dolphins are the heads for this. Boy, I tell you, there's so many things to unpack here. This story is a mess. It's a mess because the NFL can't even doesn't even know what to do with Deshaun Watson right now because now he's under criminal investigation which means the NFL has had to like stop some of their investigation they can't actually suspend him for the season um, because it's a criminal thing so they can't get involved like that he's technically still on the roster he's not on the commissioner's exempt list I feel like Houston could probably even play him right now they just wouldn't do that and also Deshaun refuses to play for them anyway so yeah, this this is a mess. I can't believe there's still a trade market for him right now, just considering uh, the unknown. Um, this says a lot of things. Uh, obviously, if the Texans actually trade him, there's conditions with these picks, whereas the, you get the picks if Deshaun isn't suspended, but it's been talked about that if he is suspended, then they relinquish some of the picks back to whoever traded for him. So there's conditions with this pick which makes me think Houston's not going to move him. Though, there I mean, the big agent, Drew Rosenhaus, even came out yesterday and said he expects Deshaun to be moved. So there's plenty of traction here that he could be moved. Here's the other thing that says, you ought to lie to me all preseason, Miami, about how Tua looks amazing. Tua looks good. It's Tua's time. Don't forget about, I mean, you know, forget about last year. He's good. If Tua was that good, why are you even opening this can of worms in this mess? Because this is just like a mess on so many fronts. To, I mean, just from a PR standpoint and then from a ruining the confidence of your quarterback standpoint that they want to get somebody else. So this tells me a lot about what's going on over in Miami about how they feel about their quarterback situation. Jesse, I want your input on this, what you think is going to happen and what it means about Miami also. Okay. First of all, I would never pay three firsts and two seconds for anybody. Not even Patrick Mahomes. That's too much. That's just too much. Um, but 
I think the fact that there is a market shows, um, especially how much this story, the big story hanging over Deshaun Watson's head, the the investigation. I think the longer this has gone on, the more NFL teams are seeing, yeah, I don't think he's going to get anything real. Maybe he might settle some suits, have to pay some money to some sad women. But like, I don't, and maybe he'll get a slap on the wrist suspension, but I don't think he's going to get in real trouble. And I think NFL teams feel the same way. So I think that there still absolutely is a market for him because of that. And in terms of the Miami thing, um, I mean, we've talked about Miami's a quarterback, a real quarterback away from being a real contender. And I think Deshaun Watson is talented enough to make 31 out of 32 teams better. Mm. The one exception being the Chiefs because they have Patrick Mahomes. Um, I mean, maybe maybe not the Buccaneers, just how Tom Brady can run an offense. Um, but in terms of talent, Deshaun Watson is one of the best talents the NFL has right now. And yeah, I think pretty much any team would be willing to move on from their current quarterback. I'm mean, not maybe any team. I don't think the Patriots would. Um, but most teams would be willing to like just part ways with the quarterback and to say, yeah, I can have a guy like Deshaun Watson on my team. So... We we quite you question Tua a lot. We'll see how he really does in this season. Maybe next season, um, assuming Miami doesn't get them. But you don't think this calls? You don't think? I know you want to like play this wait and see game, but you don't think this this calls the alarm on what they're seeing every day in practice from Tua. You don't do this if you don't have confidence in that quarterback. Sure. One, just from an asking price, and then two, from a distraction standpoint and just a PR standpoint. I mean, you, they got to think that there's real questions with Tua and what they're seeing every day. Sure. Probably. Probably, I mean, probably something. He looked okay. last. He didn't look great last season. He had some spurts of maybe he can be an NFL quarterback. Um but from what I saw last season of Tua, yeah, I guess I would never. I don't see him being an elite quarterback in this league anywhere. Um, but could he win games? You talk about it's more easy than ever to make a Super Bowl with an average quarterback as long as you're not wasting, as long as you're paying him like an average quarterback. So that's, yeah. I think they can still win with Tua. Oh, I think, I mean, I, well, I'm going to have a rant on this eventually, but I think the bar for Miami, if we want to evaluate Tua, is they have to win more than nine games. Because this roster, to me, Miami's roster is the Patriots roster, but better. Because they have a shutdown corner, and they have actual big play wide receivers that can beat uh, defenses over the top. The two things like the kind of the Pats are missing right now. Hmm. I, th- yeah. I mean, I think you need to take a step forward, and you, if you're Miami, you need to make the playoffs this season. Whether it be wild card, you're probably it's probably going to be wild card if but you if, do. But to me, if they don't make the playoffs, that's that's a clear indictment on Tua. Because I think Tua is the problem. I think everything else as, on that roster is ready to go. As long as things don't break down, sure. Because he's he's well, yeah. he's the big question. Yes. Um, but as long you know, if it's not, I mean, if a bunch of injuries happen and just like you know the defense breaks down because that side of the ball is wrecked, you know, things like that happen. Yeah. But, barring stuff like that. Um. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously the big question, and it is. Uh, no, you're right. If you brought in a guy like that, you're essentially you're you're obviously saying. Deshaun Watson's our guy. Sorry, Tua. You're out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that can ruin a guy's confidence. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you might even be right. The fact that this rumor is going around might even shake him up a bit. For good or bad. Maybe I, this I will push so. him. Yeah. This could push him. Maybe it could. Like, it could. 
but he had plenty of pushing before last year. I mean, I don't think pushing is the problem. I just think when I look at him, I, I just think he's small. I don't think he has a special arm. He's not special athletically. Kyler Murray's small. Yeah, but Kyler Murray is dynamic. Kyler Murray has a special arm. Kyler Murray is one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL. Two is an average athlete. Not particularly mobile. Average arm. Small. It's just the traits just aren't there to me. Mm. He's a he's a Case Keenum level kind of guy. Really? Yes. You that, really you like to like Case Keenum though. I like Case Keenum. You loved like, him with the Viking. I you mean, were constantly like Case Keenum. Okay, part of my Case Keenum stuff is a little bit of a joke though, because I was a Houston Cougars fan in college. Yeah, I know you're gonna laugh at that. Okay. So, like, part of this because I was watching him there. So, like, it's actually a running joke with a lot of my friends and my family that okay. I'm just like, Case Keenum's the guy. <laughs> so, no, it wasn't all serious. All right. So, yeah. So, I think that's the story on that one. Case Keenum went to the NFC Championship game. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean by like, if you're a competent quarterback surrounded by a really good roster, you can make it pretty far. They also had a lot of things go right for them. Isn't that the year Aaron Rodgers got hurt? They weren't playing on a tough schedule. What? They stayed really, really healthy. They should not have made the NFC Championship game because they lost that game against oh, to the, the Saints. Saints. Yeah, but one play, <laughs> one fluke play. Yeah. So if, if, if listen, if your roster is really good and you have a, a number of breaks go your way, yeah, you can totally make it that far with a quarterback that's not really a franchise quarterback. All right. From that, fair and foul time. Bring him back. I mean, I wouldn't say bring him back. This this segment's always staying on the show. It's just sometimes we don't have enough time. I mean, it, can't, it doesn't have to be every week. No, it doesn't. Well, it wasn't. We, we hadn't do it for two weeks. All right. First one. With Matthew Stafford finally being on a real functional organization, I ask myself this question all the time. Is Matt Stafford really just a better version of Matt Ryan? Is he better than Matt Ryan, but he just had to play with the Lions, whereas Matt Ryan got Atlanta? Jesse, is that a fair take or is it foul? Uh, I kind of feel like there's two takes here almost. I'm I think, talking about for an entire career, not today. Entire career? All right, then foul. I think Matt Ryan, the height Matt Ryan reached in terms of talent was higher than the echelon that Matt Stafford reached. Yeah, because he was surrounded by way better players. He had Kyle Shanahan as his offensive play caller. He had two great running backs. He had Julio Jones. Matt Stafford threw to Calvin Johnson. That's all he had. He had no running game. He had an average offensive line. He had poor coaching, and he had terrible defense and terrible ownership. I mean, defense has nothing to do with the quarterback play. I, I guess mean, it can make but, you, but, but, it makes you but, throw the ball. But March. it means wins and losses, banking playoffs, all that kind of no, stuff. No, but we're just talking about. But if you want to go, talent. yeah. But if you want to go stats, then Matt Stafford blows him away in stats. But that, a lot of that is because they were trailing all the time because the team stunk. And he had and listen. The other thing to me is Stafford has had how some, many MVPs does he have? None. Oh. Well, it's hard to win an MVP when you can't win games because your team stinks. No, I'll admit, like, that's a little... I don't like that. They'll only give it to, like, winning team players. I don't like that. But, like, other than one or two good seasons in which Calvin Johnson was playing, Matt Stafford was never really even considered. No. Um, but that's because the, the the team is horrible. He's never had a real running no, game. I'll, I'll grant you those things, but like, I mean, you keep you, the running game. I don't think Matt Ryan really had a running game either. Devontae Freeman, they had a really good running game that made the way the, the year they made the Super Bowl. Yeah, because was running back kind of by committee, but also like that was the same year Matt Ryan won the MVP, and yeah, he was throwing to like Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, and um, 
Oh, there's another one on the team, I think. There's a tight end. I just can't remember his name right now. I think. Oh, I think Hooper was on that team. Oh, you're right. Austin Hooper. Yeah, Austin Hooper was on that team. Um, and yeah, like, he's played with good players, but he's... I don't know. I, I just... When I watched Matt Stafford and Matt Ryan, and that's like, I thought Matt Stafford was, for a long time, one of the better QBs in the NFL. I just personally feel Matt Ryan just was just a little more talented. All right. I think right now I'd put more money on Matt Stafford being successful, not even just because of the team he's on, but I just feel Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan has fallen off a little more than Matt Stafford has in their aging years. Hmm. Okay. All right, next one. Big Ben will end the season as the Steelers' starting quarterback. Jesse, I'm going to let you start. Fair. He's going to. No matter how bad things get, you're going to bring up Dwayne Haskins. No matter how bad things get in Pittsburgh, I think he, they're just too loyal to Ben, and they're going to let him ride out the season, and he can sail, uh, ride off into the sunset uh, after losing Week 17. Okay. I think um, I think it's totally fair to wonder if he really will be the starting quarterback at the end of the season, both just from a play and talent perspective now because he's old and he's not the player he used to be, and also just from an injuries per- uh, perspective. This team couldn't run the ball last year. I keep seeing things that they think the offense is back. The O-line's going to be good now. I want to see it in the regular season before. But making a guy as old as Big Ben, who holds onto the ball as long as Big Ben, with the injury history of Big Ben, drop back and throw the ball 50 times a game, and letting defenses pin their ears back because you don't have to respect the run, makes me think Big Ben ain't going to make it to the end of the season. And the other part of this is I think Dwayne Haskins, I think has looked really good in the preseason, and he had all the talent... Uh, all the physical traits, all the physical talent to be a franchise quarterback. He just didn't have enough reps. He was only a one-year starter at Ohio State and uh, maturity issues. So I think being cut, being on a functional organization, the Steelers, um, an adult head coach. A functioning organization. Listen, they're not as bad as they were when A.B. and Bell were there. They're still not my cup of tea. I still don't love what Tomlin does all the time, but look, like, let's not get it twisted. This is not the Lions or the Texans or the Jaguars. There's still a winning organization and a winning culture. I, I think the, there's a very good chance Big Ben could might not be the starter next season. I mean, by the end of the season this year. So I, I think that's fair. I, I, I'm not even going to disagree with a lot of that. He is old. He didn't look very good last season. Um, they lost James Conner, so the running game could, yeah, very well. I mean, yeah, Najee Harris, we'll see what he can do. But, yeah, it could be worse. They lost uh, offensive linemen. But yeah, I, I'm generally, I'm going to stick with, I think Mike Tomlin is too loyal to Ben Roethlisberger, and they, if they see they're not going to make the playoffs, I think they'll just let that old man have his fun and ride it out, and then say next year, it's it's Dwayne. Okay, fine. I'm actually going to take off one of them, we're going to do it in another show. But here's the last one, brought to us by our friend Nick. Shout out to Nick. Shout out to Nick. Thank you. For None of you know. Be- from giving us some feedback on fair and foul, like I've said before when we do this segment. I'd love some people to get uh, get in touch with us and see what we want, questions that we want covered for this segment. But anyway, Gardner Minshew as a starting quarterback in this league. He was just on the Jaguars. I'm going to say, you know what, Nick? I agree with you. Gardner Minshew was on what was probably the worst team in the NFL back-to-back seasons. And I'm not saying he's a franchise quarterback that you want to build your organization around, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, the starting quarterback in the NFL, 
Teddy Bridgewater is a starting quarterback in the NFL. You just don't see them as your long-term solution, but you're okay with them for a year or two while you look for that long-term solution. So I think Gardner Minshew is totally a starting quarterback in this league. I think he was just on a terrible team. I think he's that Brian Fitzpatrick, Teddy Bridgewater sort of class where he's that bridge guy. And furthermore, I I think it's bad that Philadelphia brought him in because I think he's good enough that when Jalen Hurts looks bad because that team is bad and also I just don't believe in Hurts as a starting quarterback, uh, that I think those fans are going to be asking for Gardner Minshew to come in. Have you ever believed in a quarterback from Alabama? It's a little off topic, but... No. (laughs) Okay. I haven't been proved wrong yet. But I was... How did A.J. McCarron's career go? I don't even remember. Exactly. (laughs) Um... I mean, this is one where we kind of in agreement. I think yes, he has, he possesses the talent of at least a bare minimum starting quarterback. There are some really mediocre ones out there, and to say like Gardner Minshew is not at least on that level, I think we can give him that. There were times on that awful team with, I mean, there's a there was a couple weapons. James Robinson's a decent running back. Yeah, but um, the, but the co- but like Shark is a decent wide out. Yeah, but the coaching's bad and the old line's bad. Sure, but like even with all that and with the little that he had to work with, he, there was times he made something happen. He made some games exciting. He did some things. Um, we, we were, we had. There were times we were talking about him, and for despite the fact that we no one wanted to talk about the Jaguars, but he made us talk about them. Hmm. So I think yeah, to say he is not at least at the bare minimum a starting quarterback worthy, I think that's fair. That's fair to say. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah, especially with people out there like, you know, you like them, but the Sam Darnolds out there. I, I think Teddy Bridgewater is a fair comparison. I actually really like T-Bridge. Mm. I think people need to give him more chances because, I mean, he, the, the guy wins games. He's made playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that year he started pretty much the whole year in 2019. He threw 21 touchdown passes to six picks. 233 yards per game, passer rating of 91. The next year, before he got hurt, because Jacksonville's old line's horrible, 95 passer rating, 16 touchdowns, 5 picks, 66 completion rating. With that horrible team of Jacksonville. So yeah, I think he's totally an NFL starter. Alright, and with that, Jesse, getting ready to wrap things up here. I'm going to turn it over to you real quick for the weekly Tommy report. Oh yeah, all you guys are clamoring. You want to know, what is our man Tom Brady up to? He apparently did not attract or contract COVID like we may have talked he, about last week. Because he's not human. You're right. Uh, he's a god. He played He played a little bit this week for the final preseason game. Uh, he went 11 for 14 with 154 yards, and he threw a touchdown pass to Chris Godwin for 24 yards. And that has been your weekly Tommy update. And with that, to close things out, our Darwin Award... Jesse, drum roll, please. This week's Darwin Award winner is the Baltimore Orioles. You suck. They really do. They are horrible. It's not even just about losing one season. They have just coming off a 19-game losing streak, which is hard to do, but it's about more than that with this organization. They then won two straight. They did win two straight after that. But the Baltimore Orioles have now firmly been the worst team in baseball for three straight seasons. That's hard to do. Especially in a game like baseball, where it's like, you can win any day. Who knows? 2018, lost 115 games. That's a 29% win percentage. 2019, 
They lost 108 games. That's a 33% win percentage in this year. They've lost 89 games, 31% win percentage. All three years, clearly the worst team. They're so bad the Rays went 18-1 and against them, which is absurd. I didn't even know how that could happen in baseball. A team where anybody can beat anybody any given day. This organization is horrible, Jesse. Just terrible. They've been on the downturn ever since Buck Showalter showed his age, showed that he got senile in a moment and decided to put in Yobaldo Jimenez out of the bullpen in the biggest spot in the game who promptly gave up a, was it a three-run homer or a grand slam home run? I think it was just a three-run home run. I think it was. I remember that so well because I was in college with my roommate who's from Baltimore watching that game. And we also had a side bet too that he already lost that the Sox would win that division. And then, before Yobaldo Jimenez even threw a pitch, when Yobaldo came in the game, Mike left the room and went, oh my gosh, <laughs> this game is over. I don't know how many pitches Jimenez threw, but it wasn't many before he gave up that three-run home, and it was crazy. And ever since then, they should have realized the window was gone. They didn't. They tried to buy more the next season. They lost like 89 games, and from then on, they had no pieces to sell. We're about to have another Bobby Bonilla day in a few years because they're still playing Chris Davis. To walk up there and strike out every single time. What was Chris Davis? He had like an O for like he had an a, O for streak that was absurd. It was it was it was about as bad as I like, think it was like O for fifty something. It was of years it ago. was a lot. It was so horrible. I couldn't even believe that he was still that they were still doing that to that poor man. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, this team also can't develop pitching at all, and it's been over a decade now of this. Jake Arrieta couldn't figure it out in Baltimore. Goes to Chicago. And he's the darling of baseball for a couple of years. When, I think he won a Cy Young. Or at least finished second. Maybe. Yeah, he was remember. in the running. Uh, Alex Cobb, a functional starter in Tampa, despite the fact of the injuries was the only setback, goes to Baltimore two years ago. He's the worst pitcher in baseball. Now he's with the Los Angeles Angels. He's functional again. I think his ERA at one point was high threes. You know, serviceable. Eduardo Rodriguez couldn't figure it out in Baltimore. He comes to Boston. Now, he's still been kind of a disappointment, but at least he's functional. He has some really good seasons. And the best one, though, is Kevin Gossman. They got three years in Baltimore. This man was supposed to be an ace, huge prospect. Couldn't do it. He's been traded to the Giants, and now he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. There's no hope with this organization. It's been over a decade. They can't develop pitching. When it's this many in a row... It, again, where there's smoke, this fire. When it's this many in a row, you have a problem within the organization. And they do have the 10th ranked minor league uh, system, which is good, but most of them are position players. And again, with the pitching, you can't develop pitching. So this organization has just been setting records for just ineptitude. <laughs> like I said, it's hard to be the worst team in, in the league three straight years. But they have done it, and there's no hope on the horizon for this team. It's hard to lose 19 times in a row. You'd think you'd stumble into a victory somewhere in 20 games. Exactly. All right, so that has been it. Darwin Award, Baltimore Orioles. You did it. Congratulations. Jesse, we need to get that kazoo for this segment soon. Oh, we do. I forgot about that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get it next week. All right, and that has been no, we're not. Slow Your Roll, guys, and we will see you next week. Thank you very much, everybody, and have a good rest of your week.